Welcome, everybody. It's time again for the only show that takes a look at the challenges and opportunities of hiring in today's environment. It's time for Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, with your host, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have a uh, great lineup of guests here throughout the year, and specifically today we're going to be talking uh, to one person, a slightly shorter show than normal, as one of our guests had a family emergency. So we're going to go a little bit shorter today and spend a little bit more time with our one guest. So it should be uh, a great show. But if you're maybe tuning in for the first time or kind of discovering uh, this episode here and want to know what we're doing, The Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. And the first is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. So that second area is how talent really relates into human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their company, along with all those other things that go along with that, you know, motivation and uh, development and uh, problems and successes and all those kind of great things that HR leaders are are focused on uh, helping all their employees deal with. So this show will explore those two different areas along with how talented individuals can impact a company's culture, which is one of the things that I'm really fascinated about. My guests on Talent Talk typically include CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, and other business leaders from all different industries. Uh, What usually happens is I go to a networking event or a conference or I get to speak at at a conference and I go and try to find uh, the few, you know, the smartest people in the room that uh, I can learn something from and go and start asking them a thousand questions. And it was great for me, but wasn't great for everybody else. So we decided to put this forum together to allow you to listen on our dialogue. So if I'm going to ask somebody a thousand questions, you get to hear all the answers and hopefully learn from uh, everything that they have to bring to the table. And most importantly, maybe you might learn some practical advice about cultivating talent. You might help you develop your leaders and manage your culture better. And, you know, most importantly, top of the list is impacting your own career in a positive way. I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question for my guest, uh, please submit it via Twitter. Uh, use that, send it to at peopleg2, just enter your question, and then end with the hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, can feed me in the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Also, always get great suggestions on questions we should ask, guests we should have. We love if you can do that uh, and send them via Twitter. That's the best way to, to interact with us there. Don't forget, you can also hear this show on a podcast. You can hear all the past shows uh, on iTunes and Android. Just open up that podcast app on your phone or tablet, whatever it is, or even go to talenttalkradio.com, and you can hear them all, all there as well. You can join the other 160,000 people that downloaded the podcast last week we thank all of you for taking the time to do that and that ever-growing audience that we have we really appreciate you we wouldn't be here without you and we certainly wouldn't be able to provide such great content if we didn't know people were listening enjoying it and applying it to their work so let's go ahead and get today's show started as i mentioned before we're going to have just one guest today uh and that is ivana sapuentes uh ivana is a senior consultant uh, with Human uh, Capital Advisors here in Orange County. And so, Ivana, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm very happy to finally be here. And, you know, I hope I can share some relevant insight to your listeners um, so that they can take advantage of this conversation. Well, I, I'm, I have no doubt that you will. So let's start with the easy stuff. 
tell everyone a little bit of, about yourself uh, and, of course, what you're doing right now with Human Capital Advisors. Uh, sure. Well, I've been practicing human resources for the past 15 years, um, both at the practitioner and leader levels. Organizations mostly ranging from zero to a thousand plus employees. You know, so it's it's been very varied for me. With Human Capital Advisors, I've been focusing on a partnership with Synergy Executive Education to bring the concept of synergistic leadership and communication to line managers, supervisors, and it's completely in Spanish. So that's where I've been spending my time this past year and a half. Well, that's an interesting component that providing a particular set of work in Spanish. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think companies are maybe, especially in Southern California, are, are pretty used to providing a particular level of maybe documents or some training in Spanish. But if you're pro- also providing high-level uh, mm-hmm. stuff in Spanish as well, that's a real interesting component. Maybe you could share a little bit more about that. Uh, sure. Well, I think uh, part of it is that these programs are normally geared to uh, create a cultural evolution within an organization, you know, an evolution towards uh, better understanding, better relationships with those that we work with and those that work for us. And we often tend to start these initiatives at the very top, right? Like the CEO of an organization will say, well, I want to create this type of uh, culture in our company, but, you know, he'll trickle it down to maybe his uh, executive management. And then, um, you know, it sort of tends to die down there. And what about the management that's actually your frontline leaders that are actually dealing with the day-to-day management of your workforce? You know, so mm-hmm. that is where this particular piece comes in, especially for organizations that have um, culturally diverse employee populations, especially those that are highly, um, you know, high numbers of Spanish-speaking uh, employee population. Those leads tend to also speak Spanish, but they weren't getting the tools that they needed, oftentimes because of the language barrier, and this makes it just a little more approachable for them. Well, and, and even beyond maybe the language barrier are people who maybe primarily or only speak Spanish. I, I would imagine you could certainly have a population of people within an, an organization, especially here in Southern California, where yes. Spanish is maybe they're completely bilingual, but Spanish is their first and primary language. And so when you want to get into deep understanding and have really deep, you know, kind of lasting conversations, doing that in their most comfortable language may raise the amount of effectiveness, regardless of, you know, you know how much English they, they do or do not speak. Um, you know, sure. I just th- in thinking, it's just something that kind of dawned on me. I mean, I, I have friends that speak sometimes t- t- two languages, three languages, five. I know someone that speaks seven languages, but they prefer to interact with particular things in particular languages based on what's, you know, something more technical might be one language and something more emotional might be in another. So is that, do you feel like you're kind of representing part of that and for these people that are kind of in the middle there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of these concepts, um, you know, have to be able to touch your line supervisors in some direct or personal way. And obviously having a bicultural background helps me in the understanding of where some of them have come from and, you know, be able to, um, if you will, customize some of the programs or the delivery of some of these programs to experiences that are relatable to them. Right. All right, absolutely. Well, it's very fascinating what you're doing now. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how you, how you got here. And I know you went from uh, Samsung as the head of human capital strategy 
uh, to consulting and then, you know, helping other companies with their human capital decisions. So what is it that kind of drives you to do what you do? I think I'm driven by the passion that I feel for enabling the success of an organization through its people. Um, I know that the phrase, our people are our greatest asset, tends to sound like an overused cliche, but uh, I actually happen to believe that. And I enjoy helping organizations understand and realize the value of all of its employees. Um, the ones that appear you know, to be the obvious choice, such as those in leadership roles or management roles, as well as those that play individual contributor roles that have or add a great value to the company's vision. So that's really what drives me. Well, and it's fascinating to hear you say that because I, on the other hand, would say I would I enjoy the light bulb moment or that you know moment where maybe you, you smash the dam open, right? And what you're talking about is that moment when that water from the dam seeps all the way through an organization that you get understanding across you know all different divisions, all different levels of, of work, all different you know uh, employees at, at any particular level you may be looking at. So you're you're looking at this very broad sense of understanding you know i'm thinking about well okay what's the once the one thing that everyone might understand and you're thinking about well how do we get everyone to understand it and and that that, that's fascinating to you know to me it sounds like you're really on to something and and adding in that language component is a really important piece as well yes absolutely i think um you know there's certainly a huge need for that um and it's something that you know i i enjoy because it's uh you know, very rewarding to see how others are developing in their management and leadership skills, you know. Well, I can imagine no matter how much you enjoy it or what benefits you get from it, there has to be a few challenges there that you have to deal with. So in this sort of strategic HR executive role and this consulting that you're doing, you know, what are what are some of those challenges that you, you feel like you have to face and overcome to be successful? Well, there are two things that I think are the greatest obstacles. Uh, first is meeting leaders who don't really realize that their people are their greatest assets or their organization's greater greatest assets. And secondly, meeting leaders who actually put their money where their mouths are in terms of running their organizations by that belief. It's actually tragic in my mind um, to see that in this global economy, you know, really the only thing that remains a differentiator between organizations is their people. So not leveraging that seems like a a tragic waste. Right, right. Uh, You're absolutely right. I mean, I think the first thing you said is one of the biggest ones I see is people just don't realize what they have. They don't realize uh, how valuable their people are. And whether it's they believe they can just get somebody else to come in the door and do what that person's doing, or if they just don't have a great sense of, you know, the potential that those people have to, to give them. I'm not, I'm not really sure why that is, if it's a lack of training, a lack of understanding, or a lack of uh, maybe even of, em- of empathy. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you say? A lack of vision. Um, yeah. You know, uh, towards what's, you know, becoming more relevant um, in the global economy that we're in. Yeah. I mean, employees are always leaving one job, going to another, and there's so much shift, mm-hmm. so, many, so much movement within our workforce. You know, people don't really go to companies anymore and work there for 35 years or 45 years or whatever that time frame is. And so clearly there must be uh, people, most of these people must have a lot to offer, and it's a matter of finding the right place for them to work. And 
where mm-hmm. they can make an impact and then give them the training and understanding, which is what you're talking about, uh, to, to do a great job and to be impactful to the organization. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I um, you know, I feel that um, I'm sort of that connector, you know, mm-hmm. making that happen. Right. Well, what are some of those uh, talent acquisition strategies that you were able to develop when you were with Samsung? Well, initially, I was tasked with growing the organization from one employee, which was me, to 500 employees in a three-year period. So that was a very daunting proposition initially. Um, But my strategy was really simple. I knew that I had to cast my net as far and wide as possible. And that's where my network and my ability to build a new network in a space such as engineering and construction in which I had not worked in previously came in extremely handy. I was also um, able to develop or mine the networks of other executives that I started hiring into the organization so that I could exponentially stretch my reach in order to uh, connect with active as well as passive talent. So, you know, it's a combination, but it really has to do with leveraging not just your own personal professional network, but also the network of others. that are in a position to impact. Well, and, and, and did you find there was some benefit there, too, as well, to have, you know, the, Samsung's a well-known brand. It's got a, a good mm-hmm. name. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people coming to work for you certainly know, at least at some level, what you do and what you sell, uh, which not all companies have that, have that you know, kind of going for them. Correct. And, and well, the, the challenge with our particular effort was the fact that we were not in the electronics and, and you know, cell phone space, which is obviously what they're known for, um, we were really in the general contracting space. Mm. And so that's what, you know, created some branding confusion as well, because, um, you know, I had to sort of re-educate people in that particular industry that Samsung could do, you know, something beyond cell phones, and, and that was a very established name. Uh, outside of the U.S. in building huge infrastructure projects. Right, right. Well, that's a that, that's an important distinction because uh, you do have that brand confusion probably at least in the United States especially. Um, and maybe those people who are in, who maybe you're directly selling to have been in the industry a long time might know that name. But I guess for employees coming in the door, they're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm here to sell TVs. And you're saying, no, you're going to go sell this instead. This is what This is what we're focusing on. Yeah, that's that, right. Yeah, you know. that's a big difference. Yeah, it can work against you sometimes when you have such a strong, established brand in one space, right? You know, and you're trying to uh, diversify and expand your portfolio of offerings to other areas. Well, and we see a lot of companies own many companies, but they will, mm-hmm. you know, sub-brand them. I mean, what mm-hmm. General Mills owns so many different little you know brands below it, sure. uh, just so that there isn't that brand confusion or people get used to having a particular brand represent something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can imagine that'd be True. a challenge. But you know, one of the things that's kind of can be consistent and, and might be something that can really attract good talent is culture. And so, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the role of culture in uh, attracting that talent, whether it's they know what they're walking into, like they're coming, you know, Google gets this and Apple gets it. I mean, people will apply there just because of what people perceive the culture to be. But there's also that conversation you have with applicants about 
what you see the culture is for the company, and that sometimes can be a very powerful way to bring people in if you have a great story. Was that is that sort of what you see, or do you have a different take on that? Oh, absolutely. I I think culture is key, not just to attracting, but but to retaining. Candidates are very savvy these days. Obviously, there's you know a plethora of information out on the web. Um, you know, it's just through LinkedIn and people's networks. You know, you always are able to get, um, you know, feedback on the employment experience within different companies. You know, there's websites devoted to that. Um, they're sort of the Yelp, um, but basically what folks critique in those websites is the employment experience, everything from how it went on a phone interview all the way to their exit interview. And so, you know, candidates are able to find that information much more readily these days so they can get, you know, a pretty accurate feel for what the culture of an organization is. And, um, you know, it's not only about branding um, online, but also, you know, what you do through other mediums once you join an organization. You know, this is particular important, particularly important for Gen Xers and millennials. You know, culture is it's really what can close the deal in terms of, you know, accepting an offer and not. Right, and and potentially keeping them as well once they get in the door. That you know the uh, the culture really needs to live up to their expectations and be sort of helping them or, or driving their uh, I guess their how much they like work, you know, and and how much they're willing sure. to, to to put up with. I mean, there's I've talked about it a couple of times on this on this show, but kind of the recent studies are that. A millennial would rather make forty thousand and absolutely love the culture and love the job and love the company than they would make a hundred thousand. And I would tell you, most you know, yeah, most Gen Xers would say, um, "I'll hate the company, give me the hundred thousand, and I'll just deal with it for a few years." Um, but that's not the millennials' perspective, at least not yet. That based on what we're seeing. Yes, and and we have to also think, you know, just based on the sheer numbers, you know, millennials are a very significant. Um, incoming uh, workforce or, or incoming talent into the workforce these days. So even though you may cater to Gen Xers, soon enough you're not going to be able to just meet your talent needs with that because the Gen X group is much smaller than the millennials. So yeah, you'll run out of Gen Xers pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you, I've been looking at your resume. You did some work for Pyra. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with them? Sure. Um, one of the first things I did when I began my career in HR was join the Professionals and Human Resources Association. Uh, it was a recommendation from my mentor. And uh, I believe that getting involved always makes any experience better. So I got involved with the board of directors at that time of my local uh, PIRA chapter. And then moved into a legislative affairs chair role. Four years later, I was elected to the post of VP of legislative affairs for all of the association. And, uh, you know, when I finished my two-year term, I sort of thought, you know, I finished my, you know, uh, direct involvement, if you will, right? My, my very intense and active involvement, um, I was planning on continuing to be a member, but uh, a colleague of mine uh, who I met through Pyra and is a good friend, uh, reached out to me and said, you know, would you join my board? It was a different district, and she needed a programs chair. So I really couldn't resist. It was something I hadn't done, and I thought would be fascinating to get to know uh, speakers out in the circuit, uh, leaders, and folks that have, you know, relevant content and 
and relevant experience to share with the rest of their peers. Mm-hmm. So I went into it, and now I'm going into my seventh year on the board of Pyra South Orange County, serving this year as vice chair, and you know, I truly enjoy developing new board members as well as members for the district. Well, that's, that's great to hear. I think you know, Pyra is a great organization, especially for... Like you said, for connecting, for HR people to have education, and um, I've been very, very fortunate to have spoken to quite a few of the different chapters, and in fact, tomorrow I'm speaking at the Antelope Valley chapter. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, congrats. Yeah. I've made long-life friends um, through Pyrex, yeah. and you know, it really has provided me a platform to farther the reputation of the HR profession, so you know, that's... Um, why I continue my involvement, and I, you know, try to expose others, other colleagues to that, and, and hopefully, you know, they'll see the value in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I think that HR professionals in general probably do maybe a bit more of that uh, education and um, yes. working on than maybe the average professional is, but there still isn't enough. I think there's still too many HR people that, you know, aren't out at those local meetings enough to get, you know, everything that they need to, to help their company. And I always just suggest mm-hmm. to any of those, anyone out there might be listening or thinking about it, they should definitely get involved with their local chapter because it can be a great... Uh, and there's... The, Pyra is really the kind of California-based version of that, but there's certainly different uh, Sherm and, and HR organizations all across the country that you know are great for for whoever whoever it is that's listening, you can definitely find those. They might have a different acronym there, but they're they're out there. Yeah. So <laughs> we love acronyms. Yeah. Yes, I mean we're the mega chapter for Sherm here in South or South um, Southern California, excuse me. Yeah. So um, you know we're very proud of that association, and yes, there are Sherm chapters throughout the U.S. and abroad. So I would highly recommend that folks look into it and, and participate and get involved. So I know you have kind of a breadth of experience in all these different fields we've, we've started talking about. I mean, how do all these, or how do all those kind of experiences and knowledge help you in dealing with these other companies? So now you're kind of, mm-hmm. you, you've had this base and now you're kind of coming into these different areas. So how do you think some of that really plays out? I think it adds dimension and a fresh perspective to the work that I do for the organizations that I'm engaged with right now. It's especially valuable for organizations that are attempting to evolve their cultures from a home organically grown type business to one that is more worldly. And I use the term worldly only because regardless of size or revenue, organizations really need to be prepared to compete in a global economy, even when they may only do business here in the U.S. You know, they there's certainly going to be competition um, coming from other parts of the world as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, I think it's a you can really help companies if you have those different perspectives, and uh, it sounds like you've been been successful at it. So, I, I'm, I'm wondering if one of those areas might be what, which is kind of seems like this has been coming up a lot lately. I mean, it's it, it's mm-hmm. it's a forever topic, but it's been really kind of ever present in the things that I've been reading lately, and that's you know this employee engagement being so crucial um, to what companies are seeing. They're, they're, Maybe they're hiring again. Maybe they've got a lot more staff than, than they've had in a while, and they're starting to worry more about, you know, making sure that those those bodies are, are, are doing their best work and, and not necessarily, I'm sure, from a productivity standpoint, but from a real love of what they're doing. So what do you see as the most positive ways for employers to really help engage their staff? 
Um, I think oftentimes employee employers miss out on the opportunity to create engagement through transparency in their organizations and all the decisions that they make. I know that when I heard you speak at uh, Pyra last year, you talked about you know leaders accepting when they make mistakes and doing so publicly to sort of set the example mm-hmm. with the rest of their organization. And I think that's extremely valuable and should be done more regularly throughout more organizations because that sets the tone for everybody within the organization to feel comfortable, uh, to feel empowered, uh, that you know they can take risks, uh, which tends to pay off. But if they don't, they're also able to pick up the pieces and re-strategize and, you know, move in a different direction. Um, Employees make a choice to join an organization based on the information that they receive in an interview or through their own research of a company, but we shouldn't forget that they also make a choice each and every day to show up to work. And when they do show up to work, they make a choice once they walk into the office whether they're going to be there with purpose and intent or just to write the clock and do as little as is required before they go home. Mm-hmm. So transparency really provides employees with a true picture of the organization, its goals, and the challenges that they're facing. And then they can make a fully informed choice as to whether they want to be there and give it their all or that they're you know better off somewhere else. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up that point. Yeah, that I do try to drive home in any of the talks that I, I give about you know the 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 C level people and the managers, you know VP, whoever it is, that they need to be kind of open and honest about their mistakes. And I that really does, you know, if you can as a manager, if you can walk into a meeting and say this is how I screwed up, or if you can publicly say this is what I'm not good at and I need help with, boy, does that just bring in a whole fresh uh, kind of perspective and a. Uh, allows for a safer environment for other people to say, this is how I screwed up, and this is what I'm not good at, and uh, mm-hmm. allow people to start taking, and then get to get what you said a moment ago about transparency, you know, wh- wh- who would actually be the best person to do this job? Not whose turn is it, not who politically is it that's asking mm-hmm. for it, or what have you, but, you know, who should really be doing this because they're, they're good at it and they want to do it and they like to do it and, and who shouldn't. So I, I think you're kind of onto something there with, you know, uh, managers setting that tone for, to really help that level of engagement. Oh yeah, I truly believe so. And, you know, I think again, it's, it's something that doesn't cost any, you know, it doesn't require a financial investment from an organization. It's just a, I guess a, a moral conviction or, you know, maybe having the vision to understand, um, how that can translate into an engaged workforce. Right. Well, I want to make sure we ask you one of our favorite questions, and that is, uh, what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about that book? Ah, sure. Well, I'm currently reading Synergy Team Power, The Five Success Habits of High-Performance Business Teams by Chris Alexander, and it talks about uh, building trust within any team because the choices that we make when we know that the rest of the organization has our back and trusts us can be very empowering. Well, it sounds like, uh, I'm sorry, say the name of the book again. Uh, yeah, I know it's a little long. Synergy Team Power, and it has the subtitle, The Five Success Habits of High-Performance Business Teams. But Sounds like a, a great book. I'm not sure if I've heard, heard that one before, ran across it. Uh, well, I'm definitely going to bring it up to the uh, the book club here locally that I that I help run that. Oh. Sounds like a good book that uh, may be uh, fun to do. 
Yeah, I think it's on Amazon, so you just look it up, and you know, I'm sure you'll find it. Well, um, it, it better be on Audible, because that's how I do all my books these days, is listening when I have five minutes in the car here or there, I, that's, I throw the book on. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's much easier. Well, how can... You do things at the same time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so how can people reach out to you or find out more about you? What's the best way for them to learn more about what you're doing? Uh, well, they can look me up on LinkedIn and send me an invitation. I'm one of those people that probably accepts 80% of the invitations that I receive. I always try to make an effort to post the, you know, accepting that invitation, connecting with the individuals um, that have invited me to be part of their networks, and I do the same with those that I invite and, and accept. Um, you can also follow Human Capital's uh, Human Capital Advisor company page on um, LinkedIn. It's, you know, look it up under Human Capital Advisors LLC, uh, and we do share a lot of information on Twitter, and our handle is at HCA advisors basically all one word um you know so look up that handle and you know you'll see a lot of the things that we're doing yeah and of course we'll we'll provide some links and information in the blog recap that we do of every show uh that we have that's usually out in a few weeks and uh this will be up in the podcast uh you know usually within the next seven to ten days so uh ivana i really appreciate you being on the show with us today um i think we've definitely gotten some great takeaways um is there anything that you think you talked about would, that might be the most important thing that somebody should really take away if they they listen to this and they wrote a whole page full of notes? What's what's maybe that, that pearl of wisdom you think that they should be taking with them? Uh, the value of building transparency throughout their organizations. You know, partner with your HR leader to do so and make it a part of your company's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, hire for that value and it's going to eventually become ingrained uh, in practice at every level of your company. Um, don't forget to know, to get to know the talent that you hire, encourage other leaders within your organization to do the same, and then find out the why of work for them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great advice, and I'm so glad you were able to kind of recap that for us. Um, I know there's a, probably a few people out there that took a lot of notes, and they appreciate the, the clarity there. So uh, really appreciate you being on the show. We'd love to have you come back at some point since you're local. Maybe we can have you come in the studio as well. And I would um, love to do that. I was really looking forward to that. Unfortunately, some last-minute changes didn't make yeah. it happen, but uh, I'm happy to do that uh, in the future. Yeah, that sounds great. So, uh, Ivana, thank you so much again for, for being a part of the show, and we look forward to circling back with you in the future. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for the invite, Chris. Thank you. So tune in live uh, next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest will be Marianne Moserex, lead consultant of employee engagement practices at Blessing White, and Chris uh, Alder... Oldendorf, excuse me, uh, Chief Talent Officer and Co-Founder at uh, Verisig Search. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.